Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. What's Donald Trump up to these days? What really went on behind the scenes during the 2020 election? And how do we keep the nationwide murder rate from skyrocketing? Today I get all the answers to these three questions from someone who knows from personal experience. This is Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. I've got a big show for you guys this week. My guest is the one and only Rudy Giuliani, an attorney who served as the mayor of New York City from 1994 to 2001. On today's episode, we discuss Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the future of the GOP, Giuliani's time as the mayor of New York, how to stop crime, and so much more. Let's go. We got the one and only, the very honorable Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for joining Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. Really appreciate being on me. I have very high, high regard to you. No, I appreciate that greatly. Now, I was reading something, and before we get into the, the politics of the interview and all that other stuff, but I was reading something recently which said that you would be at the Trump Hotel so often that they, they gave you a, a gold plate which said personal <laughs> office of Rudy Giuliani. Is that true? Yeah, it's kind of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> we had a little black made up that said, we had, we had a funny one and we had a serious one. One said, Rudolph Giuliani, attorney at law, and the other had something crazy written on it. Like, you, <laughs> you, you know the Trump Hotel. It was downstairs under the BLT restaurant in the corner. And uh, during the impeachment proceedings, particularly when we were writing up you know, answers and all, I, I, I started to get kind of... Uh, uh, restless being locked up in a room. So I went downstairs so I could see people and they decided to make it my office. One day I hope to to grow up and, and have those kind of privileges that I'll be <laughs> working my way up into it. <laughs> so, it was a long that's stretch, very nice. I'll tell you that, boy. It was a long stretch. It was good, though. Yeah, no no kidding. No kidding. Now, before we get into I said it was a great honor to represent a president I admire so much. And and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. But before we get into the the politics and the issues of the day, I wanted to ask you about Rush Limbaugh. I know he was 
Oh, a friend of yours, legendary conservative radio host, he of course passed recently. And you all were really good friends, from what I understand. Can you yes, we uh, share friends. some thoughts and words on Rush? I would, we were friends for 31 years. We, I'd almost say we kind of grew up together. He and I had the same mentor, Roger Ailes. So Roger, Roger you know, worked with um, Rush at the beginning when he was developing his show. He also was my political consultant when I ran for mayor. So I would be a lot of times in Roger's office and he'd be talking to Rush on the phone or we'd both be there together trying to train Rush into being a radio host and train me into being a politician. And we became good friends and we started to play, we started to play touch football and believe it or not, we used to play water volleyball. Imagine Rush Limbaugh playing water volleyball. <laughs> no, I can't. All summer, we would play every Saturday or Sunday at Roger Ailes' place. We'd play water volleyball. And then we both loved golf. So for the last seven or eight years, we participated every year in the in the Ailes for Autism tournament. We won it two out of the 10 or 12 years that we've we played with, with, uh, with Marvin Shankin. So we have two trophies together. And, you know, it's funny, this is, this is the time of year we would practice for it, February, because it's in March. And I really miss him. That is quite the story. And I had no idea that Roger Ailes was one time your mentor. Of course, Roger Ailes is the, the founder of Fox News Channel. And it makes sense why you had so much success as mayor from a messaging standpoint. Oh, um, Roger goodness. was a genius, a genius in messaging. What a genius. What a genius. I mean, so and so and so. I mean, and, and, and Rush, I mean, everybody wants to know why was Rush so successful. Let's start off with the fact the man was brilliant. I mean, he, he read, he consumed huge amounts of material. I think I used the Trumpism there, huge amounts of material. Mm-hmm. And then he had a very facile mind, very, very quick mind, very logical. I always thought, though, the thing that made the difference for him he could explain complex things in an easy way, and then he always had a sense of humor. And I think that's why he could hold an audience. I mean, three hours in the middle of the day. Yeah. I never understood how he could get so many people. Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievably talented man. I think he created a whole new discipline. A yeah, lot of great people are doing it now, but I mean, he was like the first one to really do that. Absolutely, tens of millions, and we <laughs> we remember him, you know, the the Godfather of uh, radio, who certainly taught a lot of young folks like myself a thing or two about conservatism. So I, I appreciate uh, Rush. Um, so th- thank you for sharing your thoughts on him. Now switching gears a little bit, uh, I know you've been the personal attorney for President Trump for years. You've known him for a long time. Have you spoken with him recently? Is he in good spirits these days? Great spirits. He's in terrific spirits. He's getting very, getting very excited about his appearance at CPAC. I think he's got a couple of surprises in mind, which I'm going to try really hard not to give away. And um, I, think he's, I think he has spent a lot of time, you know, this is about the longest he's gone, right, without, in a long time, without tweeting or See, he's actually given a lot of thought to where we're going as a country, where we're going as a party. 
I think you're going to be real surprised when he when he lays it out, how well thought out it is. So I'm hearing you say that. Is the president about to announce a 2024 uh, campaign for president? You can tell us. It's only us talking. No, no, I would, I would say, no, no, I don't want to set that expectation. I think it's too <laughs> early to do that. I think he sure as heck is going to make it clear he's pretty interested. But I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I mean, personally, you don't decide something like that so far in advance. I do think he is going to want to, he's going to want to, have a big role in guiding the party uh, through the 2022 elections so that we get so that we get the House. We're real close in the House. And my goodness, we're right there in the Senate. Right. Yes. I mean, the House, the House, I mean, was a big surprise where we are definitely within reach of taking both houses. And I think it will be concentration number one for him. I think the philosophy of the party he's been able to give more thought to. I mean, because of all of the, honestly, all of the vicious treatment that he was put through, which I, I, I think any other man would have would have cracked under the pressure they put on put that man through, and constantly pursuing him with false charges when they, when he was running, they were making up the Russian thing. Uh, he hasn't had – people don't realize what a substantive president he was, how much he got done. Yeah, he did get a lot done. I mean, my goodness, he, he straightened out the economy. We had the best economy ever. He straightened out regulations. He knocked the regulations in half, right? Yes. He, uh, he completely revised foreign policy. North Korea, big problem. North Korea, we can talk to. Uh, legendary now, historic peace agreements in the Middle East, which I hope the Biden-Terry group doesn't really ruin with a irresponsible agreement with Iran. So I think he's going to, he's going to, I think he sort of switched the two political parties in a way got us to realize that the Republican Party is now the party of the people and the Democratic Party is the party of the elite. And I agree with that assessment. They certainly um, went from the party of perceived the little guy to definitely how much money do you have will welcome you in. Of, of course, the Democratic Party is what I'm referring to. Now, it's interesting in referencing one of your earlier comments in terms of CPAC and saying that it's too early to wage something like a presidential race so early on. But if you're a guy who was in office and you had four years where the economy prospered, you had the lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans and minorities on record, um, you were able to put in so many different policies that strengthened our economy, strengthened our government, cut regulations, made sure businesses could prosper. You have a record like that. And then the race, as of course, he, he has been saying that the race was stolen um, with that being the case, how could you not decide that you're going to run again? Because these guys are clearly Biden isn't going to be productive as president. We've seen that already in his first three days in office. He's already eliminating a billion dollars in wages, um, killing the Keystone pipeline. I mean, people Biden Biden voters have been finessed, hoodwink. I mean, he's been boozled. So how is it that President Trump, I'm sure he's thought, maybe I am absolutely going to do that. You don't think any of that's going to come out this week? First of all, a little bit would be speculating because he hasn't really made a decision. 
about number one about running and number two exactly how he's going to put it, what he's going to say, what the right way to approach it is. I think the thing that's very clear is he's very comfortable in the role and he's going to make sure that people understand that he's the, he's the leader of the Republican Party and that he's going to make sure that the Republican Party is guided by very, very solid principles and keep, and keep us growing as a party of the people. I mean, I like that. I enjoy, I enjoy representing the people who feel that they've been cut out by government and have been ignored by government and no, they don't have lobbyists, so they need to count on Donald Trump as their lobbyist. You know, I, 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 I really, I, I think that's a very, very, um, that's a great position to be in to grow. And I think we, we'll be able to attract a lot of young people that way, too, because that's pretty exciting. You know, change is much more exciting than just keeping up the same, you know, broken pattern. Considering what we just experienced in terms of election, uh, looking back on that, how, how do you remember the 2020 presidential campaign? What, just pulling behind the curtain, what were some of the things that were experienced, perhaps things that people haven't heard of um, at this point? Because it was a number of lawsuits all over the country. Um, I personally believe the, the GOP should have been ringing an alarm on the mail-in balloting months before the election took place. That makes the most sense. And now we've had members of the party who have said so as well, that they should have been ringing the alarm. alarm. Can you give us any of the, the behind the scenes on what happened there? First of all, it was the strangest election ever, in part because of the lockdowns and shutdowns and pandemic, and in part because the Democrat candidate decided to spend most of the campaign in the basement. And it's like boxing with somebody who doesn't show up. Right? Yeah. You're in the ring, and he's... He's, he's hiding in the dressing room. And uh, so it, it was a strange campaign in that regard. I think you're absolutely right to focus on the mail in balloting because for years we had been warned that mail, that massive mail in balloting is, uh, is going to lead to tremendous fraud. So you had a report going back to, I don't know, 05 or something with Carter and um, – and, how, and, and Jim Baker. And in it, they made a lot of recommendations coming out of, you know, the 2000 election. And they said, under no circumstances should you have large-scale mail-in balloting because you won't be able to protect against fraud. This is a Republican and a Democrat warning us. 70% of European countries do not have any kind of mail-in balloting, not even absentee, because in one way or another, they've all experienced the kind of thing that we experienced. The other 30% basically just have the old-fashioned absentee balloting, which is very, very different. That's where you got to get an affidavit. You have to have the signature verified. You can only do it if you're truly going to be away. So, for example, I mean, I may have the numbers off a little, but in a place like Georgia, in 2016, they had something like 400,000 absentee ballots. This time they had something like four million. That may be Pennsylvania, but I mean the, the difference was crazy. You can't police four million mail-in ballots because you don't you don't get to see the person, you don't get to identify the person, and if you don't have very very strict scrutiny of the signature, you can put in all kinds of phony ballots, 
And unfortunately, not even talking about this election, this has happened a lot in prior elections in this country and in other countries. So mail-in balloting, which was done because of the emergency pandemic, should be done away with. I don't disagree with uh, doing away with the mail-in balloting. Absentee, I think that's obviously necessary, especially for those who serve overseas. So understand that completely and those who are away in college as well. Now, when President Trump has said that there was millions of fraudulent votes, is he saying that these are the people who went in and signed someone else's name and mailed it in? Or is he saying that because of the states uh, disregarding the Constitution, if you will, and putting in their own mail-in programs, a lot of it unconstitutional, uh, at least from the reading of the Constitution, per se. Is that what he's saying? Or is he talking about people have fraudulently voted all together and that caused millions of fraudulent votes? I would say he's saying both. And, you know, it's complicated because it's different in different states. So we really have six or seven states that are involved. Uh, Pennsylvania, which is the case, unfortunately, the Supreme Court didn't take. I thought Justice Thomas wrote a brilliant dissent. Uh, that was the state in which basically what you had was the, both the courts and the governor and the secretary of state changing the rules. They're not allowed to. The Constitution of the United States says the state legislature makes the rules exclusively. That section, that's the Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. They, the, only the state legislature. And the Supreme Court has written on it and said that their power is plenary and it belongs only to them. So, 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 you, so you have the change in rules, for example, that you don't need to observe the signatures, that you can cure ballots, uh, that you can, you can send the, the vote in after Election Day. Uh, all those change of rules, we would say, run constitutional. In addition to that, there's the allegation and there's uh, people, that there's evidence of this, affidavits and videotape and other things that show that there were ballots that were entered to make up for the, for the difference. Ballots that were made up after the election. So I guess you would call that more in the area of fraud. The problem was we never got a hearing. No court would ever allow a hearing, nor have we been ever able to get any court to turn over to require the Democrats in these cities where it happened to turn over to us the actual piece of paper so we can examine it and see if it's legitimate or not nor have they allowed us to look at the machines. So 22 machines were examined in Antrim County, Michigan. They were found to have all kinds of problems. So that's what he's basing it on. Now, why is it that the Supreme Court didn't do anything about it? Where's Amy Coney Barrett? Where's Brett Kavanaugh? Where's all these individuals who sit on the Supreme Court who are supposed to be about justice and fairness and uh, just saying it, telling it like it is. What what happened to those Supreme Court justices in these various instances? You know, I, I mean, the most recent decision just makes no sense. I mean, the, the recent decision would have nothing to do with this election. It would basically answer the question, which we need to know. 
who sets the rules? If you read the Constitution, it says the state legislature sets the rules. If you look at what Pennsylvania did, the governor, the secretary of state, Democrats, and the Supreme Court, Democrat, changed the rules, which constitutionally they don't have the power to do. Supreme Court didn't answer that question. So now it leaves you as Justice Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch said, it leaves you with no answer. I mean, whatever your politics, we'd be better off with an answer, right? And that's what's so disturbing about this, because we got more elections coming up and just, uh, what, next year? Was it 2022? So with this being the case, are we supposed to continue where bureaucrats in some cases decide what the law is not based on the Constitution? Like what what can people do to prevent this from happening again, where there's a lot of ballot harvesting going on in places like Georgia, et cetera? where people are just taking their ballots, giving them to someone else, and they, they put them in somewhere. So we don't know if fraud has taken place in between them giving a ballot and it going to whatever courthouse or election bureau. You know, and and here's, here's, the, here's the kind of catch-22 with that. A lot of cases actually were brought by the Republican National Committee before the election, raising a lot of these issues. And the court said it's premature you got to wait until the election. And then when it was raised after the election, the court said there was no standing. So basically, the, the message from the federal court is, we don't want to have anything to do with this. But then who decides the constitutionality of it? I mean, it's, it's very, very frustrating. And uh, here, I mean, here, here are the practical things that can be done. In the states where we have Republican legislatures, They should pass laws now changing the rules to fit the problems we had in this election. They should do away with general mail-in voting. They should continue with absentee voting, but under very strict rules like we used to have in the past. And the state legislature should pass these laws. In in, uh, Democratic states, I guess the governors will veto them in Republican states, they should get through. And then we can go to court and we can say that the rules are supposed to be set by the legislature and the governors or the, or the secretaries that have tried to take that power away and try to, and try to go through those cases, you know, as soon as they do it before the 2022 election, it's really more pertinent, however, to the presidential election because that's where the state legislature has the sole power to set the rules. And this should now get straightened out. Every legislature should realize that by keeping up with this, ma- this massive 4 million mail-in ballots, we're just leaving it open to anybody to cheat, either side. It just makes no sense. Every country, se- seven out of 10 countries have done away with it. The other, the other 30% just have absentee balloting. Let's take a break now, but when we come back, I want to discuss how Donald Trump changed the Republican Party and the future of the GOP. We'll be back in a second. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Now, now switching gears, uh, Mr. Mayor, is the GOP now the party of Trump? Absolutely. I mean, when you look at when you it's been the party of Trump for the last five, four or five years. Right. I mean, he's never been below 85 percent favorable rating by Republicans. He's sometimes in the 90, 95 percent. I know there's that very vocal group, you know, that uh, the Lincoln Project represented the vocal group of Republican anti-Trumpers. But I mean, when you look at the polls, the polling, it makes up. You know, less than 10 percent of the of the Republican Party. I mean, he he always had a much stronger hold on the Republican Party than, for example, Hillary or Biden. Their numbers as Democrats are not nearly as strong as his. So he is definitely the leader of the party. I mean, just about more than half of the members of the party. In, in polling, say if he decided to leave, they go with him. Right? Yeah, I, I, I saw that recently. And that, that that's what's bringing me to this question, because, you know, like you mentioned the Lincoln Project, for example, Trump has been a consistent conservative for the most part in terms of policy. I don't think anybody can question that. Um, the rhetoric, though, is another consideration for a lot of people. And we, we know that we've seen that. I, I think back to 
that last, not even the last debate, two debates ago, I guess that was with Chris Wallace when he asked if he was going to denounce white supremacy in the Proud Boys. And he said, of course I will. That's what he said. And he said it a number of times. He's denounced white supremacy a number of times. And that's fine. That's great. But then he said, stand down, but stand by. So there's things that have come up where people are kind of scratching their head and they're they're saying, you know, within Republican circles, hey, if it was somebody on the other side, we would be going after them and condemning them. So has President Trump learned some lessons from those experiences that he had? Well, I don't know. You know, one of the problems uh, in analyzing President Trump is the unbelievable scrutiny that they put on his words. And I once put together a list of all of the times that he condemned white uh, racism, white supremacy, something like about almost 100 times. Mm-hmm. And maybe he doesn't use the same words all the time. So if he uses the words differently, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how you solve the problem. I mean, you can't just say the thing the same way all the time. Here's what I can tell you. I've known the man for 30 years, and the idea that he's a racist is ridiculous. I mean, it's not not even close to he's about as not a racist as anybody I know. He's, he's, he is clearly a guy who judges people as people, even in his personal life. He's got friends of, you know, the joke used to be among his golf buddies. Trump has no color problems. The only color he really prefers is green. I, I, I certainly believe that. <laughs> and when he was in business, if you were a black guy or a Chinese guy or a white guy or a woman, or you could make money, he's going to be your partner. If you were a screw-up, no matter who you were, he wasn't too happy with it, that's all. But he's a, the, guy, the guy, so sometimes, sometimes, particularly at the beginning, he would have trouble with the new language, you know, the woke language. We have words we're supposed to say them certain ways, and we don't say them exactly the right way. We get accused of being a homophobe or a something else or a something else or a something else. I don't think he 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 understood that language. He kind of got used to it after a while. But I, I but it was really the desire to try to rip him apart. And if you look at if you look at Biden, the things that Biden has said, you can make a much better case. Biden's a racist. Well, and and we 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 can definitely go into that a hundred percent because I don't disagree. Now, my my question to you, uh, Mr. Mayor, do you condemn all forms of white supremacy and hate, no matter where it exists? Of course, I just I, I condemn all forms of racism. I consider that racism and hatred. And that- and that's what President Trump should do. That's it right there. I condemn all forms. And that would be it. I, who cares about what these, the folks that consider themselves the most woke are the ones who are truly asleep. These are, these are walking zombies in a lot of cases. This, this woke trash, it's, 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 it's Democratic talking points being pushed left and right. And what you realize then from a lot of these Democrats, especially these white liberals, they're sometimes the most racist people you can find. So I'm not confused about that at all. I just want to make sure when we're talking about President Trump and and I've been 
a lot of his policies have been so positively impactful for me and my family. And I think he, from a policy standpoint, has been the most impactful, especially for African-Americans from a policy standpoint. The rhetoric doesn't always add up, but the policy does. So I, I'd rather go with policy over rhetoric. And, and your point on Joe Biden is absolutely, absolutely spot on. I mean, this guy. If you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. And a number of other comments that he's made over the course of his, what, 40, 50 years in office paints a very bleak picture. And one that if Democrats, if you took the Democrat label off him and made him a Republican, they would be calling him a, a racist all day long. So I'm not confused about that. No, I know. And I don't and I'm not. I'm, please, be, I'm not calling him a racist. I don't, I don't like doing I don't like calling anybody that I'm just telling you, if you wanted to take his words and play with them, there's a lot more there than there is probably for almost anybody else. You know, all through the years he's made comments. But, I mean, Joe, I don't know what's wrong with Joe now, but Joe has never been the clearest guy, or honestly, the brightest guy. So I attribute it to not the way he feels, but he makes mistakes, big ones. <laughs> yeah. No question about that. And now he's been in office for a little over a month. What do you make of his presidency so far? Give him a letter grade. I, I mean, it's been a, it, I don't even think it's, it's been a presidency by executive order. I mean, he signed like 50 or more executive orders. Most of those things are supposed to be submitted to Congress so we can debate them. And the left-wing media lets them get away with it. It's almost acting like, you know, we got one, we only have one branch of government, him. And he just signs these things. All of a sudden, 11,000 jobs are gone. Nobody can get to discuss it, talk about it. Then uh, the Paris Climate Accords, no discussion of whether China and India are going to have to live by those standards. So we just gave them a trillion dollar break. No discussion of it. I thought we were a democracy. And the thing that amazes me the most, Chatty, is that, that the press doesn't pick these things up. If Trump had come into office, signed 50 executive orders, doing the same thing but in the other direction, they would have, they would have impeached him right then. Right? Hmm. They said, you become a dictator. You just became a dictator. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. What do you think about his plan to legalize 11 million people are these individuals that democrats hope to make uh, voters so they can continue to win every election without any doubt i think i think the i think it is quite clear even clearer than it ever has been for me that this whole immigration policy of the democrats is purely a political policy i don't think it has anything to do with the good of the country it has to do with how can we maintain control how can we get more votes how can we make more people dependent so they have to vote for us why would you take 11, 000, 11 million people even even the ones that are productive and and doing a good job but i mean a lot of them are a lot aren't but I mean, the minute you do that you're going to encourage another 11 million people to come plus plus we're telling people if you come here illegally we'll pay your health insurance I mean, the people are lining up in the thousands in, in Nicaragua, in uh, Central America. We're, we're going to pay. Come to America, we'll pay your health insurance. 
I mean, I, I, I don't get it. It has to be a political strategy. I don't know how we pay for it. We've got a tremendous debt. Health insurance is enormously expensive. And we're going to pay for people that just come, come here illegally. They just walk in and say, give me my health, health program. I, I don't understand how that's anything other than a crass political move to add up the Democrat vote as much as possible. And I'm fully supportive of dreamers being taken care of, which is what, you know, people that come at no fault of their own, which is what President Trump uh, tried to do. But Democrats wanted to use it as a wedge issue for the election. So they they never made a deal on it. Um, do you believe that number is truly 11 million or is it much more than that? Because that 11 million number has been consistent for, for uh, what, five, eight years or something beyond that. It's been a long time. They've been saying 11 million. I, you know, look. How do I know and how do they know, right? Mm-hmm. Let me, I'll give you one thing about the election. Think about this. In Arizona, which Biden on paper theoretically won by 11,000 11, votes, which is nothing, right, 11,000 votes, they do not account for any illegal immigrant voting. Now, Arizona has a large illegal population, given where it is, right? We know that. You mean none of them voted? Not a single one. And they never bothered to check. Part of the lawsuit there was to get them to check. So there were estimates done, but they're just estimates now. This is not evidence. These are estimates that there were 30 or 40,000 that voted. But they never went back and checked. So, I mean, that's the danger that you, that you create. You have illegal people here. Some of them do vote. And it kind of cancels out the vote of people who are citizens. And that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Last time right. we did this, I think we regularized, or this was back in the 80s, maybe early 90s, something like four or five million people. And the number then was that there were six million illegals. Well, we did that, and then it doubled to 12 million. So even if it is 12 million, if we do it again, in 10 years, it'll be 20 million. How do we how do we take care of the people that are here if we do that? Yeah, I, I, especially during a pandemic, it didn't make sense for for the country to be sending billions of dollars to other countries. When we got poor people here that we need to take care of or middle class folks who may become poor because of states like California and New York uh, that are have shut down business and caused them to go into bankruptcy. Forgive your student loans. Then basically we're just telling people we're going to pay for all of your college education to everybody in the country. Where does that come from? So, so what should the GOP do to to bring people back into the party, to bring people back into the Republican Party. People like Lou Gingrich advocated during the Georgia special uh, runoffs uh, that Mitch McConnell should have sent in the $2,000 checks. Of course, he didn't. And and people like Mood and actually President Trump have said that's part of the reason why we lost Georgia. Do you agree with that assessment? And what can we do to bring people back into the fold? Yeah, I think, I mean, we talk about Newt. It's a, I know it's a formula that everyone talks about, and but it was, and it, but he did it brilliantly in taking over the Congress, the House when it, when we didn't have it for you know a couple of generations. 
That is, we we told the people the contract with America. We told the people what our big, big sprawling party stands for. And when Newt got into office, he tried to do it. He didn't do all of it, but he tried to do all of it. Same thing with Donald Trump. He told the people what he was going to do. He basically almost did all of it, except the ones they blocked. And had he been reelected, he would have done the rest of it. I think that's I think that's the best way to run for office. We should sit down as a party with the president, the president's guidance because he's the leader. And we should set out a group of principles. Once we think of the most important and say, this is what we're going to do for the country. If you like it, come and join us. Let's take over the House and Senate. Obviously, things like let's get control of immigration. Let's have control of our borders. Let's let's make certain that we get taxes down to the lowest possible number, not the highest possible number. And there are a lot of differences between us. I think I think we're going to end up with a very big difference over Iran and the Iran agreement. But we could set out eight or ten principles like that around which people can see that our party is the party they agree with. I think that would be the best thing that we could do over the next year or so. We don't have to do it exactly the way Newt did it. it issues have changed. But that was a very useful approach for, for Newt. And in a way, it was a very useful approach for, for Trump in 15 and 16, where he laid out what he was going to do under the, under the symbol of Make America Great Again, America first, laid out what he was going to do. He came into office. He tried to do it, and he did most of it. Okay, and, and speaking on your point of immigration, you just mentioned people like Ann Coulter has said part of the reason that Trump, she believes Trump lost is because he didn't finish out the wall like uh, he said that he would. Is that a part of the, the, the two-term approach, or should he have gotten it done in one term? I don't think anybody held against him the fact that he, they saw the opposition that he had to it. Uh, Ronald Ray, I worked for Ronald Reagan, and he taught me this. Nobody's going to get angry at you if you promise something and you try your hardest to do it, and they stop you. As long as you keep at it and you don't give up. So he tried everything he could to get that wall done, including that whole deal over Dreamers. And the whole idea was, you give me the wall, I'll give you what you want. I'll let you, I'll let you take care of the people that are here in a generous way as long as I can make sure a lot of new people don't come in and bankrupt us or create problems for us. I mean, mean, plus he did get a lot of the wall done. And I have no doubt if you gave him four more years, he would get it done. But you can never get done all the things you want to do. I mean, I became mayor on a set of principles that I wanted to accomplish. In some areas, I accomplished much more than I thought I'd ever do. In some areas, I wasn't able to do it. Couldn't get the support. But are you honest with people? This is what I'm going to do. Try to do it. And I think Ronald Reagan used to say, if you can get 70 or 80 percent, you're very, very successful. That's interesting. Let's pause for a quick break now. But when we come back, I want to ask you about your time as mayor, how the crime rate plummeted during your tenure and your thoughts on stop and frisk back in a moment. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <laughs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. 
Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Turn down a law and order, an issue that you're intimately familiar with as, the, as an attorney and, of course, as the mayor who cleaned up the streets of New York. Last year, murder rates skyrocketed across the country. In fact, according to the FBI, there was 20.9% increase in murders nationwide over the first nine months of 2020 compared to the same period in 2019. And according to a study from the National Commission of COVID-19 and Criminal Justice, homicide rates jumped by 30% from 2019 to 2020. In some of America's major cities, the increase was much higher. Of course, you know a lot about what what has happened in New York. Uh, What do you think caused this surge? Was it covid no, or was it no. Exactly. police budgets decreased? It should be just the opposite, Jay. When, when we've when we've had like um, major catastrophes and things, crime goes down. People are too busy. People are too uh, consumed with it, or crime crime should have gone down. In fact, other crimes did go down, but the increase in violence, I think, has to do with the changes that we made in the laws and the approach that we took. I, I know my state and city the best, right? Because I reduced crime in New York more than any other mayor ever. So it's something I know a lot about. Uh, basically, we have a 40% increase in homicide and a 100% increase in shootings. We never have had anything like that before. That's a record. And the reason is, the governor, Governor Cuomo, passed a no-bail law, so we probably had eight, 9,000 more criminals on the street than we should. And uh, the mayor used COVID as an excuse to empty our prisons. So we got probably 20,000 criminals on the street that shouldn't be there. And they're going around, they're making our subways, subway ridership is down 75%, and subway crime, violent crime, is up like 30 or 40%. Per capita, that's ridiculous. 
but uh, and then and then you have in a lot of these cities you have Soros elected district attorneys that don't put anybody in jail. Let them out of jail. You look at look at Chicago every weekend. You get you get fatality numbers like we're in a war. You get ten people dead, fifteen people dead, twenty people dead, and you got a, a, a district attorney there who's you know left of left of left. He's a pro criminal rights district attorney. So who's representing the people? <laughs> Nobody. This is a political problem. It's a problem that comes out of political policies of the Democrat Party that has become enormously accommodating to criminals, criminals' rights, not putting anybody in, in jail anymore, letting them out of jail very soon. And then a, a police, police departments that are completely demoralized, that feel that they can't take action because whatever they do is going to be misunderstood and used against them. Now, you were incredibly successful as mayor of New York. You lowered crime. You introduced crime stat. Um, you also continued uh, enhancement of police techniques, one of them being uh, stop and frisk. And Michael Bloomberg, who succeeded you as mayor, he really uh, pushed forth with stop and frisk. And a lot of folks have had issues with that. Uh, and I'm talking specifically about Michael Bloomberg. They had issues when you did it as well. But Fox News business host Charles Payne said, um, just last year, he said, um, this is an example of Michael Bloomberg's stop and frisk po- policy. He thinks that it's a particular display, disdain for African-Americans, and he doesn't want to see his child be stopped by the police for no reason at all, quote unquote, so to speak. So question for you, do you still support stop and frisk or no? I do, but I mean, I, I support it the way I did it, not the way he did it. The difference is. I started it. I started it with um, with uh, uh, Bill Bratton. It was very successful in reducing murder. We reduced murder. I mean, it's not the only thing we did, but it, we reduced murder by 60, 65 percent. But we only uh, the, the highest number I ever had in any given year was under 100,000. What happened is that uh, Mike used it way too much. They were up to 600,000. So think about that. I mean, 600,000 people stopped and frisked. You're going to make a lot more mistakes. Maybe the difference is, and I, you know, I think Mike did basically a good job as mayor. I don't criticize him a lot, but I do think they let it get out of control. Stop and frisk is an application of the Terry case. You have to be very, very strict about having reasonable suspicion. You have to record it. You have to write it down. And you got to discipline it. And we did that. And I'll tell you, our policy was reviewed by uh, Janet Reno and and, uh, Deputy Attorney General Holder. And they found that it was constitutional. Mm. It was uh, was the last year I was in office because the Justice Department wanted to bring a case against us. And I asked to see them. And I spent two hours and I showed them how we did it. And they agreed and didn't bring the case. Because we had very, very detailed records of legitimate, reasonable suspicion. Mm-hmm. If you do it with 600,000 people, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And that was the problem. A lot of people were stopped. And they, they didn't have a gun. They didn't have drugs. 
I think they were down to something like 10% or 5% actually had something. That's 90% that gets stopped without anything. So in essence, by overdoing it, they really did a lot of harm to a good practice. And the New York Times reported that between 2004 and 2012, 4.43 million people were stopped. About 83% of those were black and Hispanic people. And 90%, as you mentioned, they were stopped and released with no officer finding anything. So I get your point. I'd love to jump into that conversation with you again in the future. I know that we only had you for a short period of time, and you're a very, very busy man. Thank you so much for joining out loud with Gianno Caldwell, Mr. May. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you to Rudy Giuliani for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcast. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingrich360.com and I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Parler at Gianno Caldwell. If you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.